They tried to stop my shine, but I said, hold up. Y'all know how many hoes done tried to hold this hoe up. Talk music. Didn't know if I could do it, but I knew I had to try. Cause the haters tried to stop me, and the devil is a lie. Some people think I ramble, others say I'm dirty, but I don't give a fuck. Cause this is show number 30. Hey, hey, what's up, what's up, hey, hey, what's up, what's up, show number 30. Show number 30. How y'all doing this week? How y'all doing this week? How y'all doing this week? It is so good to be back with you. Welcome to Craig's Pop Life, a black gay excursion into pop culture. I'm your host, Craig Seymour. You know me. I've been writing about pop culture for more than 20 years now. You can read some of my music writing at rnbeing.com. Yes, it takes a long time to load, but it took a long time to write. I'm also an author who has written a number of books, starting with the biography Luther, The Life and Longing of Luther Vandross, which is going to play a very important role in today's discussion, my background with Luther. Um, and my memoir about being a grad school stripper hoe, you gotta, you gotta pay through school somewhere, and I still got loans, ain't that a motherfucker? Anyway, um, but that's called All I Could Bear, My Life in the Strip Clubs of Gay Washington, D.C. And then there's my novel about three generations of black gay men looking for love called Who's Your Daddy? And what I am currently working on, finishing up, is a book called Special, The Life and Art of Janet Jackson. I have a website where you can find links to the stuff that I talk about on the show. It's easy to remember. It's craigspoplife.com. And I also have an Amazon shop where I put all the books and other things that I discuss on the podcast. It's also easy to remember. It is amazon.com. Let me start over. It is amazon.com slash shop slash Craig's Pop Life. So with all that said, what y'all, how y'all doing today? I'm feeling much, I don't know, I feel like the last couple shows been heavy. I, I feel like this is um, serious, but it's not quite, you know, the weight of the world. Um, so here we are another week and... You know, I just, I mean, because it's like the most prominent um, pop culture thing going on, I think, in terms of queer people of color, you know, Pose constant, it consistently has been something that I've been talking about. I mean, not really. I think I've mentioned it like four times this season. Um, but this is a week that I feel like um, I have something to say. Uh, now, if you've been following the show, you know, even sporadically, you know that on the episode, I did a whole episode about Pose's season two premiere. Hold on, y'all. I'm going to adjust my headphones. It's going to make some noise. Okay. Um, about Pose's season two premiere, and I made it very, very clear how much I admire Pose and how, how I have no doubt that everyone working on the show creatively has the best intentions. I don't think we are dealing with people that phone, even phone something in or doing something just because it's just their current gig. I feel like the people that work on Pose are passionate, are passionate about creating representations about, I mean, of um, queer people of color. And so let's just have that set. You can have the best intentions and, you know, something might not go exactly right, but... I think it's important to I think it's important out front to acknowledge a situation where you think that somebody has the best intentions but maybe something didn't go quite right as opposed to a situation where somebody didn't give a fuck or somebody was intentionally trying to fuck shit up. You know, I just think that's a very very important um uh 
creative distinction. And, you know, I've also made it quite clear in the past that a lot of my criticism of the show has to do with the fact that I'm a living, was there bitch, okay? I was there. Um, in 1990, when this, this season two is set, I was 21 years old. And although I was not a part of the ballroom scene, I had already lived in New York City on the Lower East Side. And this was back when it was artistically popping, back in the days when you could still see Keith Haring murals on the outside of buildings. You could hear the Paradise Garage had closed, but you could hear Larry LeVon at DJ at the World. And um, you could catch RuPaul and Lady Bunny and folks like that at the Pyramid. So it was just a really popping scene. And so all that is to say, I have firsthand knowledge of the era and a lot of firsthand knowledge of being out and queer in this particular era. So um, therefore, if something isn't historically accurate um, or just... You know, accuracy is such a word, weird, used, weird word to use when it comes to perceptions. But sometimes, but sometimes there is something that is like, no, this is historically accurate. And sometimes there's stuff like this just doesn't feel right based upon what I knew of the time. Okay, which are two kind of different but related things. But in either event, it stands out to me. Now, all that being said, I do not think it's Pose's job to be 100% historically accurate. Okay, so even though something might stick out to me, it's not necessarily I'm saying that bad. That's a bad thing because the people that are making pose are putting out these representations in the here and now. Okay, they're not time warping it back to 1990 and making a current show. You know, they're making a show about the late 80s and early 90s in the context of 2019. And that's a whole different enterprise. And, um, you know, they know that what they're putting out now has the potential to shape the attitudes of modern view viewers. And it's, um, it's particularly significant because, you know, with Hope Pose being on Netflix, you all know who's watching Pose around the whole world. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, so sometimes it's more important maybe to do something that isn't 100% historically accurate but maybe move certain conversations forward that need to be um advanced like i said in the here and now uh a good example of this was i think this was last episode maybe it was the episode no it wasn't the last episode maybe it was the episode before last but maybe it was the episode before the last before the last in i in, in either case um a good example of this i thought was when pray tell lectured ricky about bottom shaming now, wasn't nobody talking about body shaming or really any kind of shaming back in 1990, okay? that It just was not a thing. But I think it's an important message for the here and now and the future as people will continue to watch and discover the show. So it's worth bending the historical truth and kind of the truth of the way people talked about certain things for that reason. You know, that's a reason why I think that, yes, it's worth it's it's better to advance certain conversations um, than to be historically accurate when it comes to certain things. Okay, my beefs have been with blatant misrepresentations that distort history for no good reason, or no good reason that I can find. Um, and I'm especially sensitive to this because the show does create a perception of the lived realities of queer people of color of that time. So it's like, if something just feels really wrong in a way that I feel like it distorts the perception of how we lived back then and how people operated and how people moved through the world, through the political world, the social world, the cultural move world, then that bothers me because I feel that sets a perception of the way people think. Because let's face it, when we talk about queer, um, queer history, you know, it's not like you're going back through a whole lot of books that 
really that show how life is like and something like that. You know, you have essays and some memoirs. You have films like Paris is Burning and this and that and um, Tongues Untied, things like that. But it's not really like a comprehensive history. So we are still dealing with a, a situation where everything that goes out there really shapes people's perceptions of queer people of color and the history of queer people of color because there's so few representations. And um, that's why I had that big issue with the season two premiere when Pray Tell goes to one act up meeting now and then immediately persuades all of his friends to take part in a direct action at the Catholic church. Like that just rang completely false to everything I knew about who was involved in ACT UP at the time and how ACT UP operated, how they did their direct actions and who was involved in the direct actions and all of that. That just did not ring true to me in that sense. But moreover, like I said in that earlier episode, as a young black gay man, like I said, I was like 21 at the time. And I mean, I came up under guys like Pray Tell and guys from Pray Tell's generation, okay? Because this was a place, like, if you went to the Black Gay Club, like, there were generations there, you know, and you were having conversations and people, and, you know, the older people have something to say and stuff like that, but you would watch how they operated in the world and they would be very different. And um, those guys were just not direct action folks. Like, I just don't know anybody of the generation that Pray Tell is supposed to represent in the show. Guys that I actually knew at the time, I don't know any of them that took part in that those kind of like stage direct actions or something like that. That was just not a part of their being because their entire sense of survival and the way they moved through the world was grounded in not making a scene, okay? That's how they didn't make a scene when they went to grandmama's house for Thanksgiving. You know, they didn't make a scene. It wasn't no big deal. They didn't want to talk about it. You know, it was just very much like, you know, I'm just not standing out. I'm going to do what I'm doing. But like, they were very much like. I'm my, the most important thing to me. I'm minding my fucking business, so you mind your fucking business. You know that was basically their um, motto of the guys that I knew, and you and pray tell is exactly like all of the guys I knew, except in those in, in weird instances like with this act up thing. Um, but I have to say that single handedly. The thing that has bothered me the most in the entire run of the series now was the Luther Vandross joke on this week's episode um, called "Life's a Bit." Uh, Life's a bit. Life's a beach. Um, not like life's a beach. <laughs> Literally, like life's a beach, like the kind you. The kind you put your feet in the sand on and there'd be water and stuff like that. Okay. Now, first things first. Y'all know I'm biased as fuck. Okay. Because not only did I write a biography about Luther, I also interviewed him in person extensively. um, A very personal interview. And I do feel a certain protected protectiveness about someone when I've looked directly in their eyes as they tell me the highs and lows of their life, their love life, whatever kind of life. Like, yes, I feel protective of that because I feel like, I've, you know, it's so easy to abstract celebrities, right? But when you are, when you're a person like, I don't do it so much now, but when I was in the line of work of interviewing celebrities, like you can't abstract somebody you looking in their eyes you know you are getting you are ge- getting that energy and feeling how certain questions may make them uncomfortable uncomfortable or certain things might loosen them up or something like that you just get much more of a sense of the person and you also just get a sense of how the person occupies physical space and and everything so it's just um and i would say you know there are Like I have favorites. I can't don't can't really separate the interview being the favorite from the person. But like 
Luther is definitely up there in like the top five of the people that I really enjoy talking to. Um, Janet would also be up there. Um, Monica would be definitely up there always because Monica's just the realist and it's always just being in Monica's presence just is great. Um, and I'm going to start to say Mariah, but that was kind of a weird interview, but um, it was definitely fun. It was definitely memorable. So um, put her up there too. But all that to say, I feel, I, I know I feel protect, um, particularly protective of Luther because of my e even very brief experience with him. And um, I just thought that the Luther moment was shockingly insensitive to the real struggles that queer people of color faced at the time and continue to often continue to face in addition to being very insensitive to Luther and the way he lived his life and how people um, and how certain perceptions affected him at the time. Okay, so I will break all the shit down. Okay, but first here's a little recap. The episode again is titled Life's a Beach. <laughs> I don't know why it's hard for me to say that tonight. Life's a beach. And it involves Electra, Blanca, Angel, and Lulu taking a weekend oceanside vacay at a Long Island crib that's owned by one of Electra's clients. Okay. Now, fundamentally, it's a very lighthearted episode, and it's kind of a reimagining of the scenes that we often see in female buddies' comedies and stuff, you know, Typical kind of bond, female bonding scenes that we see in those types of movies, but with trans women. So that's exactly what I think Pose does best. It's exactly, I think, why it's so important, because it changes the long-dominant perception of trans men and women as tragic figures. And for this, the series must always be applauded. Okay. But during this... um sort of weekend girls trip type of situation they have a brief kiki at a snooty restaurant and then they engage in the following quite random exchange all right so um okay so here go electra i can't believe we lost him angel lost who electra luther vandros angel girl he gay he ain't dead electra he might as well be if i can't have him Lulu, girl, stop being stingy. Luther's behind is a whole meal, and all the boys want a bite. Okay, let's start unpacking the layered wrongness of this scene. Starting with the most superficial, okay? Um, like, we really supposed to believe, based upon all we've seen in damn near 17 episodes, that Electra Abundance would have any kind of romantic interest in Luther Vandross, okay? All we have ever seen her with is older, rich, white men. And granted, a lot, if not most of this, sorry, y'all, a lot, if not most of this was based on money, but we've never seen her slow the, show the slightest interest in any black man walking down the street. Another black man, you know, uh, all the different range of brothers that be at the balls, you know, on the sidelines and at the bar and all that kind of stuff. We ain't seen electric like flirt with. We ain't seen her have interest in any black man. Um, so it's like all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that she has a schoolgirl crush on Luther Vandross. Like she had a give me the reason poster in her closet that she fantasized about. Child, please. Don't do it. Like, don't distort a character's whole ass story to set up a bad fucking joke that's unnecessary to have in the show anyway. That kind of shit drives me crazy when it's 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 just galling in a in TV series because like you really do see a character develop for a long period of time. So it's just no, I can't. I don't accept that she was a. She might have been a fan of Lucy's music or something like that. I don't accept that she was. Fantasizing like, oh, you know, if Luther doesn't like women, then he's dead. To me. I, I don't buy that for a minute. Okay, so that's just on a drama, just as a, you know, creative as a writer. Like, 
We're not even, not even that deep. As a TV viewer who's spending my good ass time out of my week watching some shit, I hate stuff like that makes me feel betrayed because it makes me feel like I'm giving something more attention than the people, the creators behind the show are doing. Like I'm paying more attention to the detail and understanding the character more based upon what I've seen than they seem to be doing when they're putting it together. And that always bugs me in a show. Okay. Um, The second thing that really um, got on my nerves was when Angel says, girl, he's gay. In a way that suggests that this was something that was just universally accepted as gospel truth, even among gay people, back in 1990. And that just simply was not the case in my experience, okay? And this is my problem when folks, you know, current folks, y'all youngins, because <laughs> I can ask, I am of the age that I can say some shit like that, Ca- you know, casually out folks, like um, folks that have passed and kind of lump them with others when their experiences and their public perceptions could have been totally different at the time. But just because you now know that somebody might have been gay or something like that, you lump them in with all these other people that might have been gay, but you don't understand that there were different reasons for why we thought or why we knew people were gay at a given time. And you can't just lump all that together because they were very different circumstances. Like Luther was not one of those celebrities like Liberace or Rock Hudson or a closeted Elton John who were rumored to be gay in the tabloids and were often pictured with other guys. I mean, all those people I mentioned from Elton to, you know, they was in the National Enquirer. You could usually hugged up on some guy, you know, like Liberace was always with his um, chauffeur, his blonde chauffeur. I don't know if it was one of them or if it was multiples, but, you know, and that, I think, didn't they even make a movie about that with Matt Dillon and um, Michael Douglas? But anyway... So that was kind of the narrative. So you knew based upon what your eyes were showing you and everything like that. Um, But with Luther, the situation was entirely different because folks thought Luther was gay largely because of putting two and two together. Okay, not there were never any pictures you know, there was like one picture in Ebony once where he posed with an assistant. But, you know, there were never any like tabloid pictures or anything like that. It was just kind of like after a while of him being on the scene, you just put two and two together. It's like, okay, well, we ain't never seen him. We've seen him on red carpets. We've seen him on stuff. We ain't never seen him in jet with no woman, you know, with no woman that seems like it's romantic um, or romantic interests, like that just never has come up. And in a situation where it's so common to see, especially male sec- male singers with a woman or with multiple women or having wives or something, the absence of somebody like that is going to begin to raise questions. You're going to begin to think... Um, Oh, well, that's interesting. And then over time, you're talking about like over like a decade, it really begins to um, to kind of raise questions. And, you know, and the thing about Luther, it was like, you know, he was not effeminate in any way. So he didn't necessarily signify as queer in that way. Um, cause, and even knowing in person, he had a very masculine presence about him, but he was very flamboyant in a way that you could either write off as just, oh, well, he's a performer. Of course, he's going to be very flamboyant. Or you could read the flamboyant as being queer. But again, that was you doing the murder she wrote deduction. You were putting two and two together. People were putting two and two together in conversation. But it wasn't like people were just like, Luther's gay. Like, that just was not what it was. Um... I would say that's not even what it was as late as when my biography came out in 2004. People were still very, very hush-hush 
about actually discussing Luther's sexuality. I mean, it was an open secret, but it was a secret. Like, a lot of people, even among gay people, like, people thought they knew what they knew, but then none of us really knew. Because the thing about it is, Luther was not at the clubs. He was not in these gay streets. You know, he was not one of those... He, um closeted gay celebrities who people have seen at the clubs who people have seen pick up a trick in a car or something like that he it just was that was not the case so therefore it was a different it was a very different situation than these other celebrities that were closeted and later outed or later came out it was just totally different so like that's what i'm saying you can't lump all these celebrities who we now think of as gay, you can't lump all of them together in terms of their, in, in any way that that's, um, suggests that their experiences were the same or even that the public's perceptions of them at the time were the same. Um, and like I said, like Luther was very much like the guys I knew from like Pray Tell's generation is like Luther was the type that he minded his fucking business and he expected other people to mind their fucking business too. Now, here's a clip from um, my 2001 interview when I asked Luther about his love life. And, well, you'll see what you can think about his attitude. Here we go. How come we know so little about your love life? Like, you, you, you are because the king of love, but we don't know anything your, about your life. Well, because you're not entitled to. Okay. That's, you know, you're not, a, this is me. Because I, ha you know what you don't know about my love life? Why? Because I haven't made the documentary that tells you about my love life. I haven't chosen to make that documentary. But based on me making records, I, you know, no one's entitled to know any more than I tell them. Mm -hmm. That that's just my position, you, you know, on that. <laughs> <laughs> so is there going to be a documentary of the work? If I feel like it, <laughs> whenever I feel like it. <laughs> if ever I were to to become so inspired <laughs> now see that's what I'm talking about it's like you listen to that and you go well why would somebody if they just were in a regular not regular please I'm not trying to normalize but if they were in a sort of socially sanctioned heterosexual relationship why would they be being coy about that? Why would they need to be coy about their private life? They wouldn't. So the simple fact that he didn't like talking about his personal life and all of that, that is suggestive of him um, being queer. But like I said, it was things that we were deducing. It was not like we knew because we knew. And I just think that's really important. Um and you say, well, why does this matter? Well, for the same reason it matters that Post tries to rewrite the tragic history of trans representations in, in the media. Um, it matters that we are accurate when we're shaping perceptions of black cultural figures. Because as black people, our history has been misrepresented for the entire time we've been in this motherfucking country. So a show dealing with queer people of color needs to do better and needs to get shit right because for so long, because white supremacy depends upon getting shit wrong about us from the big shit to the details because by getting shit wrong and by not caring if it's accurate enough to the T, that's just saying we don't matter. And in a white supremacist world, we don't matter. So why would it, if somebody doesn't matter, if somebody is less than, why would you care about the nuances of their sexuality? Do you, you know what I mean? Why would you care about um, how people might think of them in the future based upon something that you wrote and put on FX? You know what I mean? But that, to me, is feeding all into that white supremacist narrative. We have to be anti-racist. We have to be better than that. We have to... You know, if we're representing our people, especially if we're naming actual names, it's not like this is just characters that we are shaping. When you're naming somebody's name, we have to get that shit right or else we're playing into white supremacy. And, you know, the other thing about that related, I'm sorry, y'all have to clear my throat. <clears> throat> I know y'all expect me to. 
<laughs> do the DJ cool thing. <laughs> but no. um, black celebrities like Luther come up so rarely in shows that are on mainstream networks. Damn, now I have to, I have to take a drink something. My throat just got dry. I don't know, I guess this is a militant episode or something, like, my throat's just, I mean, I'm, I don't know. Anyway, but also, like I was saying, black celebrities like Luther come up so rarely in shows on mainstream networks that it's important to be responsible about the way you discuss them, even jokingly, even in jokes that ain't funny, Lee, um, because they do shape the perception that somebody might have about Luther, um, Without any sort of, they might never, this might be the only thing they hear about Luther Vandross. And all, then, oh, Luther Vandross was gay back in 1990. Well, that's not true. That's not the perception we want to leave people with. Even if it's thought of because of the conversation, you know, was among queer people, that that was among queer people. That's just not the truth. And this was not the way it, it had this to me this way of talking about Luther in such a flippant way is a very recent phenomenon. And this is a somebody, like I said, my book came out in 2004. It is 2019. I've revised the book. I've continued talking about the book. I think if anybody knows something about the way the public has perceived Luther Vandross, it's my black ass. Okay. And I feel like this kind of joking about Luther's sexuality or just being flip and just being um, like, oh, it's so obvious and this and that really dates back to when Patti LaBelle, I love Patti LaBelle, when Patti LaBelle was on Watch What Happens Live and said that Luther was gay. And like all of, all of his friends and her felt they were hot about it. What disturbed me about it is, like, that was the first time that somebody with any credibility in his life, somebody, like, he knew knew. Luther and Patty used to fight over pocketbooks, like, at the stores. Like, he was like, she's like, I'm buying this. He's like, no, you're not. You have to, I'm buying it. Like, those are actual conversations that they had, you know, when they were shopped together. So she knew what the situation, and I just felt like, Watch what happens live, some little late night talk show that's very, you know, comic and just kind of, you know, um, sort of knowingly silly and fun and all that kind of stuff. That was not the context for you as his friend to confirm something for the first time. You know, you do that in a PBS American Masters, Luther Vandross. You do that in a special that maybe BET is doing, or if they're not going to do it, that TV One is doing. You do it in a way that provides context to that. You don't just answer a question, yes, he was gay, without any sort of, um, without any sort of recognition of how he was gay. Do you know what I'm saying? What was the situation? Were there relationships? How do you know? Do you know, no? Or do you know just because you put two and two together like the, a lot of the rest of us? Because I'll be honest with you. I talked to people that like had worked with Luther for years. People that knew him from way back. Like people that he considered good friends and they also considered good friends. And they just simply did not know of anything about his personal life. Like, they wonder, but they did never press him on it, and he never talked about it, and it was just like that. And like I said, for a lot of people, that's how they navigate the world. They just don't particularly um, talk about that kind of stuff. And to me, Luther was very much like that type of person. So I feel once Patty kind of just flew it out, threw it out there in a flip way, I felt like after that, people, you know, on social media and stuff like that just began to talk about Luther's sexuality as if, oh yeah, he's gay, oh, he was gay, he was gay, he was, and it lacks all the, it just, like, overnight, all the nuance around his sexuality just went away, and it just seems to me like it was not, it certainly is not the way that he would have wanted it, and I feel like it's not the correct way to present 
his sexuality because we can't, especially when you talk about representation, we can't just represent everybody's sexuality as the same. I mean, that's what we fight against now, right? We don't want the white gay experience to be um, seen as synonymous with the black gay experiences because there are different ways in what we have to deal with and different ways that we respond to that. And that changes how we view the world and how we operate in the world. Same thing with Luther. Luther, you know, a black man at a certain time that grew up at a certain time with a certain very religious family and then being very public and all this kind of stuff. If we're talking about his sexuality, we have to talk about those nuances and put that in a context. We can't, we are doing, we are misrepresenting ourselves if we just try to make it sound like just because you say somebody's gay, we know what that person's experience is because there's so many different experiences of being gay, of being queer. So I just think it's important to retain um, those nuances. Now, number three, um, I thought Lulu's line about how Luther's behind is a whole meal and all the boys want to bite. Like I said, as somebody that sat across from the man, as somebody that looks has looked in the man's eyes, I just felt like this was especially cruel because Luther struggled with his weight since he was a teenager, you know, more than once reaching a high of more than 300 pounds. And far from being widely perceived, even among gays, and remember I said widely perceived, I'm not saying solely perceived, but widely perceived even among gays as a sex symbol, you know, his weight was often played for laughs during that particular time period that Pose is trying to represent. Eddie Murphy could bring the motherfucking house down when he referred to Luther as that fat Kentucky fried chicken eating motherfucker. That would kill people. Like, Luther's weight, in a lot of sense, was considered a joke. Now, I am sure there are people who found, who still find Luther sexy even at his heaviest, okay? So I am not saying anything about, I'm not making any kind of judgment call about whether or not certain body images are sexy or not. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you that the dominant perception, as in all the boys want a bite, that was by no means what it was in 1990, okay? Um, And Luther himself did not feel desirable when he was heavy, and he often blamed his lack of love, lack of a love life, on his weight. And, you know, he didn't feel sexy because he didn't perceive others as thinking that he was sexy, as in all the boys want to bite. So, like, it's just is wrong it's just a mischaracterization and here's a bit here's another little bit from um from the interviews that you can hear him talk about this his way um you once said that you know there was a voice inside that used to say that you know that you weren't worthy of being seen that you shouldn't be oh that i didn't want to be seen when i was heavy yeah where where have you kind of figured out where that came from or um know what that was you know my own insecurity you know i faulted everything that was wrong with my life every everything that i deemed to be wrong with my life uh attributable to to obesity Uh you know and i was crazy to do that because i look back and i see the friendships that i've had that had nothing to do with it you know what i'm saying they all accepted me for who i was and 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 without any reservation and all of that, you know what I'm saying? No judgment and all of that. Uh-huh. But um, the uh, other areas, I would I would blame that as being a repellent to to, uh, to to people wanting me. Even even down to you know getting turned down for a record deal. Uh-huh. You know, you know I thought it was because of my weight. So, you know, obviously this is not a man that thought all boys, girls, whatever, um, wanted a bite of his behind. You know what I mean? So it's like, eh, 
And I mean, he really struggled with it. As you hear, he really thought that at one point in his life, he thought that the weight was the reason why he couldn't find love. And like I said, that's not, why are we joking about that? It's not funny. It's not necessary. And so number four, what, like I said, while I thought that was particularly cruel to me, that aspect of the dialogue, this next thing I think was the biggest example of Pose betraying its own intentions about how it represents queer people of color or queer people in general, quite honestly, and people with AIDS, okay? Now, when Electra starts off this whole dumb dialogue, jokes, you know, in 1990-ish, supposedly, that I can't believe we lost him, okay? She is talking about a person who was dogged by rumors that he had AIDS starting in 1985. Okay, that's when the first big, that's when a publication wrongly printed that Luther Vandross had AIDS. And we all know, based on watching Pose, we all know that in 1985 or even later, you know, in the public perception, if you are known to have AIDS, that is a, that was a death, considered a death, a death sentence back then, you know, and Luther had to deal with rumors that he had died from AIDS throughout his life. You know, somebody would call into a radio station and say, have you heard Luther um, died of AIDS? And then they would report it and that would get spread. I mean, this was pre-social media, but those um, things really spread. And such rumors were a form of harassment that a lot of people had to deal with because of the stigma of AIDS. It was, you know, beyond Luther Vandross, it was like, if you were queer or if people thought maybe you were queer or something and maybe you lost a little weight or did something, whatever, people made that assumption about you and rumors got started and everything like that. And this was a big part of the AIDS stigma of the late 80s and 90s. So I don't understand why Pose would do anything or write any line that would evoke that. But the only reason anybody would be thinking about losing Luther Vandross in 1990 would be related to those AIDS rumors. So here's, and then, and and like I said, and how that leads to rumors of death. And here's another um, clip from the interview. This is him talking about how all those rumors that he had died of AIDS, how that affected him. You know, um... Rumors just very easily attach to you for some reason. I know, rumors that I died. Yeah, I mean, how does that feel to find out you've died? (laughs) Like, I can't even, most people could never imagine. I know. How did you actually find that out? (laughs) Uh, Um, so, I'm on the, uh, I'm at home, on the couch, and the phone rings. Hello? Hey, baby. How you doing? It's Valerie. That's an Ashford and Simpson, right? Uh-huh. I said, I'm doing fine. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Okay, bye. <laughs> now, Valerie and I are someone... Uh, we, we're people who talk on the phone for an hour right, while we talk. Right, right, right. Okay. Next thing I know, it's Dion. You know, hey, how is it going? How you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling fine. I'm sitting up here watching The Price is Right. Oh, well, then I'll let you go. Bye. You know, and after about two days of that... Right. I said, what's going on? And then... I found out, and I found out the day that I was leaving to do the Essence Festival, the the Essence Festival last year. Um, And it just so happened that I called my mother before I got on the uh, plane. Uh You know, like I sometimes do before I get on the plane. Right. And the rumor had just started then, Uh and I didn't didn't know about it until I landed in um, New Orleans. And then I started hearing, because there was a lot of press. I mean, there's always a lot of press at the Essence Festival, but there was a lot of press there that day. I was there. Were you there? Mm-hmm. So you know, there was more press than usual. And so, you know, I just went in the room and had fun with it, you know. And um, how it affected me was really, it didn't. It oh, didn't, come on. Okay. I swear to you. Listen, yeah, for somebody to think that you're dead, that can't, that has to piss you off. 
I'm not gonna let sit on your outside. No, what you're doing? You tell me. What you're doing is projecting yourself into my life. Okay. You have to understand into your head. We are all comprised of different things, right. and that I am here to tell you it didn't did not make me. me mad. That didn't make me mad. It, it annoyed me and how stupid it was, but it didn't make me mad. I'm annoying. Mad at who? I can't trace the source of it. Annoyance is the first cousin of mad. <laughs> yeah, but it never got that far. Okay. You know, water is the first part of Kool-Aid, but if you don't pour the, the, the powder in, you don't get Kool-Aid, so you, you never get there. Well, look, I mean, and this, but it just seems to be, and this is the second time this kind of happened to you. I mean, when you first lost a lot of weight, you know, right. and you had to sue you that magazine and you AIDS, and I right. mean, I think that was largely what the implication was even the last time with the weight loss yeah. and stuff like that. And I mean, that doesn't make you anything. I mean, like, if you, if, where's it? When people have rumors that I have AIDS and have died, that makes me blank. What word would you put in there? Sorry for them. That makes me pity how boring their fucking lives are. That's that's my blank. So you heard that. Um, so all this is to say that Pose in the future has got to be more responsible when they are talking about actual people. Okay, they have to get the history right, and they have to get the history of the perceptions of that person right. Otherwise, they are doing a disservice to the community, and that's just um, is that's just as simple as that. And that Luther combo just was not right. Um, and I really hope that they. I mean, I don't know if they're ever going to hear the criticism of this, even though some people were talking about it on social media. But again, I think that. A lot of people were too young or just whatever or more influenced by this kind of post-Patti LaBelle wave to really understand how problematic that conversation was. But I hope it does get to them in some way and they, they avoid situations like this going into season three. Like, keep somebody's name out your mouth if you're not going to be accurate about that person. Like I said, that's a completely different thing than what I was saying about the bottom shaming thing. I mean, you're talking about a, a conversation between two fictional characters, and you're trying to open up a dialogue in the here and now. That's understandable. But when you mention somebody's actual name, an actual person, then you have to be, then you do have the burden of being 100% accurate. Or like I said, you're playing into a larger white supremacist idea that black lives don't matter. So it don't matter if the details are right. So that's all I have to say about that. Um, and like I said, if you wanted to, I haven't said this, but like I'm going to say right now, um, if you'd like to hear more of the Luther conversation, I did an episode where I basically just played the whole interview. So you can go back and listen to the whole interview. And if you would like to know more about Luther, the real story, you can check out my book that I mentioned at the beginning, Luther, the Life and Longing of Luther Vandross. It is available in paperback, it is available in ebook, and it is available in audiobook. So, all that to say, um, so now, like I said, that scene to me was not funny at all. But if you actually want to see something that's funny, I really, really recommend my highest recommendation. The Flame Monroe episode of Tiffany Haddish's new Netflix series, They Ready. Now, I think the whole concept of the series is really cool. It's like Tiffany uses her spotlight, her, she uses her celebrity to spotlight female comics that she came up with. And they get like their little 30 minutes, a whole 30 minute set, like it's their own comedy special based upon, you know, her good name and, and us thinking that she knows. Um, talent and the interesting thing about the, the the whole show is interesting so just watch the whole damn thing but everybody each one of the comics has like really interesting stories and just like really unexpected ways they got into stand-up and just backgrounds and all sorts of stuff so it's interesting but flame i just love and i don't even know if flame identifies as trans flame has like huge breast implants and takes female hormones but like I said I don't know how Flame identifies the other thing is that Flame was in a long-term relationship with the woman you know after Flame had begun 
partly, you know, going through her transformation with the plastic surgery, with the breast surgery and all this kind of stuff. She was in a relationship with a woman and had three kids. The woman left. And so now Flame is the single parent of three biological teenage children. So Flame's comedy comes out of all these very... um, not common circumstances you know none of these things form into any kind of um narrative i think that's common out out there about people who live um different lives so it's just it's interesting and um and flame's whole approach like it really reminds me of my favorite type of comedy just the really body raw completely un-PC comedy that I grew up with listening to, you know, going over old to a relative's house and seeing their party records like by Rudy Ray Moore and LaWanda Page and, um, you know, Red Fox and just listening to, it reminds me of that good old raw black chitlin circuit comedy. Um, Flame gives me that vibe and so I just love the special. I just want to see more. I want to see Flame live the whole nine, and so I highly recommend you checking that out. It's the second episode, so you can watch it consecutively, or you can watch the Flame episode and then go back or whatever, but whatever you do, make it a priority to watch the Flame episode. So, anyway, y'all, that's all for this week. Um, I appreciate you hanging with me. Um, You may completely disagree with my take on the Poe's Luther moment, and if you do but you stayed with me through this whole thing to listen to me you know i i appreciate it listen to my argument i appreciate it um and if you enjoyed the show please rate it you don't have to write nothing just push the number of stars and um if you know a friend that might like the show please share it um otherwise y'all until next week be cool be kind be creative And in the words of my fave, be your damn self. (laughs) Okay, y'all. I love y'all for listening. Um, Hit me up on the um, Twitter, the at Craig's Pop Life, if you feel like I missed something or if you feel like I got something right. You know, I always love to hear from you and I really love y'all. Bye.